Hi, friends, and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Hey, I wanted to take a moment to recognize that this episode is not just another episode. This is our 50th episode, episode number 50. We launched our podcast back on February the 28th, and we are a young show, but 50 episodes already, so I'm pulling my co-host, Travis Parsons, in here. I just wanted to do a little mini celebration with you listeners, because we're excited about having done 50 episodes already. Travis, you there? I am. Yeah, it's been a blast. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, but uh, we're having a ton of fun with it, and we're loving the feedback that you guys are giving us. So it makes us feel like, hey, you guys are really enjoying the show, and I hope that's the case. When we started the podcast, our plan was for this podcast to go on for years to come. And so I'm not surprised to be at episode 50, but I'm surprised at how quickly it came. Wow. Yeah, I think when we, we did those first few episodes, you know, it just seemed like it was going to be way out in the future, you know, getting to, to 40 or 50. or But they go by so quickly, and three days a week is a lot, um, but I think it's been a, a good pace. I think you know, hopefully everybody thinks we've been providing good, entertaining stories and getting some insight into other the world of other adventure sports for them, and hopefully they're getting inspired to go out and try these adventure sports they're hearing about. Oh yeah, I agree. It has been really, really cool, but 50 episodes done. It's our half centennial. Woohoo, right? Right. Well, I hope everybody hangs in there. Tell all your friends. I can't wait till we're doing this again for episode 100, and I want all you guys to be there, and I want all your friends to be there. Just find uh, find whoever you can find and tell them all about the Adventure Sports Podcast. Make sure you do share the Adventure Sports Podcast with all of your friends. We want to continue to grow. We want this podcast to be something that uh, we all get to enjoy for years to come. So thank you in advance for doing that. Thank you for me as well. Today, we have the Gail and Porter story story. (laughs) Gail and Porter are through hikers, and Porter spent 30 years as a hospice and palliative care physician. And after 30 years of doing that, I'll let him tell the story as to why. But he decided that through hiking would be a great alternative. And Gail has been a writer for about 35 years. Obviously, Gail and Porter are husband and wife. And Gail decided to follow Porter on his adventures. And Gail has written a book about their through hiking. They have lots of fun stories for us today and a little bit different twist to through hiking than you may have heard on previous episodes. So Gail and Porter, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's so great to be here, Kurt. Sure is. Well, hey, take a few minutes to tell our listeners more about yourself and your connection to thru-hiking. Well, I had never hiked or camped before. I had, uh, Porter had persuaded me to to bike with him on the back of our tandem from Houston, where we lived at the time, to Camden, Maine, near the northern end of the Appalachian Trail. And uh, we were in our 50s. And totally self-supported. And then we decided a couple of years later to bike on our tandem from Houston to San Diego, the foot of the Pacific Crest Trail. So I that was self-supported also. And that was so much fun. That's where I really got the bike for some kind of outdoor adventure. But I had never hiked or camped before. And to give you an idea of how terrified I was of hiking or camping, I would pedal up to 100 plus miles a day just to get to some El Chipo motel with, you know, those little thin towels and tiny soaks just so I wouldn't have to camp. <laughs> but one night, 
Porter was in a, he was in a crisis of his, with his hospice and palliative medicine career. And one night um, we were drinking a killer Malbec, and Porter said, "I know, let's hike the Pacific Crest Trail." And I thought, "No way." But uh, I knocked back the rest of my glass of Malbec, and I said, why not? And uh, after a year of preparation, there we were on the uh, Pacific Crest Trail hiking northbound from the border of Mexico. Oh, wow. That's neat. So the listeners know where you are right now, I wanted to point out. I caught up with Gail and Porter, and Porter is currently hiking the Continental Divide Trail. They're in Wyoming on a cell phone right now. So we caught them in the act. (laughs) A little bit more information about Gail and her writing. I'd like to just read your bio off of your website, Gail, if that's all right. Sure. Gail is the author of I Promise Not to Suffer, A Fool for Love Hikes, The Pacific Crest Trail. And that's the story that Gail just introduced. And she is the winner of the National Outdoor Book Award, Forward of IndieFab Book of the Year, Colorado Book Award, Nautilus Silver, Silver Award, Barbara Savage Award for Mountaineers Books, Her first novel, The Lord's Motel, was praised by the New York Times Book Review as a tale of unwise judgments and wise humor. (laughs) Her second novel, God's Country Club, was a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers selection. Gail is notorious for jumping out of cakes and her sins of humor. She and her husband live in Boulder, Colorado now. Cheryl Strayed, the author of Wild, said of Gail, witty, wise, and full of heart, Gail's story-winning memoir of her hike on the Pacific Crest Trail at the age of 56 is as inspiring as it is hilarious, as poignant as it is smart. It's one of those, oh, please don't let it end books. I'd carry it in my backpack anywhere. So, Gail, those are some uh, wonderful awards and neat words from Cheryl Strayed. Well, yeah, well, thanks. I, I really appreciated that from Cheryl. And uh, Porter might want to tell you a little bit about how he got into backpacking. And, you know, the the really interesting thing to me, which bowled me over, is that here we are in Lander, Wyoming, for Porter's resupply. Uh, he, he'll, uh, I'll put him back on the, drop him off back at the trail at Crook's Gap Road um, tomorrow morning where I picked him up for his resupply. And Lander, Wyoming is the home of Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership School. And Porter was a graduate the third year of Knowles in 1968. And here he he is uh, about, what, about 30 years later, here he is back in Lander, Wyoming, ultralight hiking the uh, Continental Divide Trail. So, Porter, you might want to talk a little bit about Yeah, Porter, tell us a little bit more about your through hiking experiences and why you uh, got involved with it. Well, I started off in um, mountaineering and um, uh, carried many a heavy pack up uh, a high peak. Um, but uh, the... The idea of a really light pack and going a long distance hadn't occurred to me until I read uh, Ray Jardine's article in Backpacking Magazine uh, back in the late 80s and started making my own gear and trying them out on dirt, on sections of the Appalachian Trail. I made lots of huge mistakes, and almost all the gear I made got trashed, but uh, I learned a lot. and. And I learned how to um, stay comfortable in a storm under a tarp, how to cook a good meal on a little alcohol burner, and how to really enjoy 
walking with a light pack rather than being comfortable in camp. And um, so it's been a wonderful opportunity uh, as a uh, sort of bookends of particular parts of my life when uh, sort of one aspect of my career was finished. It really helped me get my head straight to go on to the next one. And I'm, uh, I'm, I feel really lucky to be able to take the six months off to go tackle the Continental Divide Trail. Oh, that's great. So you are currently the executive vice president of, oh boy, help me out with the rest, the American Palliative something. How's that work? Yeah, it's the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. I am the EVP emeritus because I have completed that job so that I could um, uh, be out here now. But it was a marvelous opportunity for 10 years. And you know, the, the long distance cycling and hiking really made it possible for me to continue working in a high stress, highly emotional uh, occupation. So I think uh, a lot of the reason I was able to go for over 30 years as a hospice doctor um, was the inspiration from being outside. Oh, I don't doubt that. You know, a lot of our listeners are trying to sort out how they can hit the trail how they can have that lifestyle change. And every time I hear a story of how someone like yourself pulled it off, I think I think it's inspirational. And I have found over the years, like yourself, that it's my time in the woods, up on a mountain peak or backpacking through a canyon or just camping. You know, it's it's that time that makes the more stressful parts of life more palatable. It really um, puts things back in perspective. Oh, Yeah. Well, so Porter, you hiked the uh, the Appalachian Trail, you've hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, and now you're hiking the Continental Divide Trail, so you're about to do the Triple Crown here. Well, that sounds sounds good. I've got, you know, a middle chunk of the Appalachian Trail left, but the, this is by far the biggest, baddest, most amazing thing I've ever tackled. It, we are We are really having a great time. So, Gail and Porter, why would you encourage people to try through hiking? To me, being out here in the wilderness for extended periods of time is it's living in a transitional space. You're, you don't really have your foot in the conventional world. You're living in, an, in, a, in a parallel universe that and I think the 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 depth of solitude for me is what makes it amazing and uh, a very profound experience. And uh, I don't know if this would happen to everybody, but what happened to me on the Pacific Crest Trail was that my, I just went to deeper and progressively deeper levels. The first thing that happened, since I was not an experienced through hiker, was physically. As my body was growing stronger, it was falling apart. I had two weeks in, I fell and injured my shoulders, so I had um, a torn anterior deltoid for the rest of the hike, and water had um, metatarsal injury. But at the same time, you're growing physically stronger in other ways. But I think of it as kind of a deconstruction of, um, of as the body deconstructs and falls apart then you become very raw emotionally. And then the next thing that happens is emotionally, things that you haven't really, feelings really come to the surface. And then emotionally you start to deconstruct. 
So I think then what happens is things, old tapes that play in your head over and over while you're hiking, people often think, wonder, well, what do you think about while you're out there you're hiking 20 plus miles a day? Old tapes start to emerge and play over and over that you haven't thought of in, in years. So the psychological self starts to deconstruct. And then something wonderful happens. With, I hesitate to use the word spiritual, but something happens with your interior life and your level of global listening to, to what is happening at the most profound levels of awareness. So for me, that's the huge payoff is the transformation that's possible in a transitional space of the wilderness. Mm, I couldn't agree more with that. It's really easy when we're busy with our daily routine to ignore some of the uh, the heavy lifting that really could benefit us if we took the time to yeah. wrestle with some of these things. And uh, what do you do on a trail? <laughs> you, you You deal with whatever surfaces, right? Exactly, yeah. Oh, that's neat. It's very healing. I think uh, Cheryl Strayed would agree with that. Yes, extraordinarily healing. So what about you, Porter? Why would you encourage people to do the through hiking? Well, you certainly learn a lot. Learning to be in the woods with less between you and the outdoors. You know, just camping under a tarp, you're much more in the wilderness than you are zipped up in a tight tent. And uh, when there's no inside to come to, you're really part of the landscape and the storms. And and a lot of this country is so difficult to access. You you would never see the middle of the Great Basin or the uh, if you weren't doing something like this. So it, it, it's a marvelous opportunity to both see some incredible country, learn a lot about yourself and the woods, and to let things um, shake out so that when the hike is done, you're um, uh, a bit of a different person. Yeah, and you know, one other really remarkable thing that happened is that one of the biggest challenges for Porter and me out on the of the Pacific Crest Trail was that was the disparity in our abilities. Since he was an experienced mountaineer and hiker, and I had virtually no experience until getting out there. Porter was kind enough to keep his pace slow enough that I could keep up, but I always felt that I was really trying to pick up the speed and run along behind him. And I got so incredibly frustrated at one point that I just ran ahead of him with my pack, got got pretty got pretty far distance ahead of him, which was unusual. And I ran to the switchback, and there was this, as I later told Porter, this enormous cat with a very long tail. Oh. And this creature, yeah, so you, you, you can imagine, a mountain lion was not on my radar. I didn't even know what to be afraid of. I wasn't afraid of mountain lions, but uh, so here's this enormous, gorgeous creature who I grabbed the switchback and face to face, and oh my gosh, we looked at each other. I looked into her eyes, she looked into my eyes. I didn't turn and run because it was as if the it was as if the whole world fell away, and there was this exquisite moment of stillness. And I think that, for me, that was in the high desert, uh, pretty early in uh, on our hike. And it was in Southern California, and it was such a powerful experience of absolute relationship and connection with 
a wild creature that it changed my whole sense of what it was to be out there for the good. That's neat. You know, Tom Brown writes that that's a good medicine day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that stuck with me for many years when I'm out in the wilderness and I have a, a unique encounter. I think that is a true gift. And it alters not just the day, but it alters your memories and, and your experiences in the future, for sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, two days ago, I was out in a rainstorm in the middle of the uh, Wyoming Great Basin, and this uh, wild white horse decides uh, he needs to come up and check on me and, uh, you know, gallops from afar and comes up and sort of makes sure I'm okay and looks at me for a little bit and then turns around and gallops off again. It, it was like the spirit bear the Indians talk about. It was really a healing moment. And those sort of magical things can happen when you're that open and raw and vulnerable out there. Oh, yeah. I know this sounds odd, but one of the things I enjoy doing is hiking at night without a flashlight. Mm. Wow. One night I was backpacking off trail in pitch black without a flashlight. I'm not recommending that this is a good idea. <laughs> but I was I was feeling my way through some some willow undergrowth, and I walked up on an elk – in the fall, he was trying to get the felt off of his horns. And so he was busy scraping his horns against the willows. And so he didn't hear me until we were, oh, maybe 20 feet apart. We never saw each other. He may have seen me, but I could not see him. But we stood in silence, listening to each other breathe for, oh, many moments. And then finally, I, I just said hello to him. And he trotted off into the night. Just talking about it now, I get chills. Those sorts of encounters are so special. They are. That's remarkable. But I'm not recommending that people backpack in the dark off trail. Probably not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> don't try this at home, kids. Yeah, don't try this at home. And I, and I wouldn't recommend anybody tackle the Continental Divide until they've done the, the Appalachian and Pacific Crest Trails either. Yeah, and I was getting ready to ask you um, the difference between backpacking and through hiking, and I'm glad you brought us back to the Continental Divide Trail. Let's put these two ideas together. First of all, backpacking and through hiking are different, and then you're just saying that the Continental Divide Trail is another level above again. Yes, certainly the Pacific Crest Trail is very challenging, and uh, I would not have been ready for it had I not uh, done hundreds of miles of the southern and northern parts of the Appalachian Trail. But you, but the Continental Divide Trail, the, uh, the navigation, weather, snow challenges are um, quite impressive. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Do you love mountains? You are not alone. Jerry Roach is well known for his extraordinary and detailed guidebook, Colorado 14ers. But did you know that Jerry has written 15 books, including guidebooks to 13ers, Indian Peaks, Rocky Mountain National Park, and more? But he has also written narratives about a lifetime of mountaineering full of Jerry's insights and humor. If you like adventure, then these books are for you. Jerry Roach's books can be purchased at his website, summitsite.com. That's S-U-M-M-I-T-S-I-G-H-T.com, as well as on Amazon and in bookstores near you. Outdoor Pursuits is the adventure hub of Fort Lewis College. 
This comprehensive collegiate outdoor program not only offers an extensive outdoor equipment co-op that provides everything from tents to kayaks and ski gear to mountain bikes, but also offers a varied trip calendar that includes both instructional and recreational outings from climbing some of the world's highest peaks to enjoying Durango's amazing hiking and mountain biking trails. Our experienced and friendly staff are always up for an adventure and are a great resource for those planning their own outings. Visit the Fort Lewis College website for more information on what Outdoor Pursuits is all about. And remember, adventure is not in the guidebook and beauty is not on the map. Differences between backpacking and through hiking. Um, I, I know that you're using different gear. You have a different approach than what standard backpacking would be. Can you describe that for us? Yeah, I mean, if I was um, going into a, a nice place a few miles from the trail for a weekend, uh, it would probably be worth it to me to take a camp chair and an espresso maker and, uh, you know, a lot of great food. But um, I would sort of suffer uh, as I carried it in and uh, plunk it down and spend most of my time in camp. Through hiking, you're, you really are going up and down a lot. I think, um, as I remember, the Pacific Crest Trail climbs 450,000 vertical feet. So that's like climbing Mount Everest from sea level 16 times. Mm. You know, a few extra pounds going up that far is big, and you are spending all day uh, walking. Uh, you can't do can't walk two or three miles an hour and get twenty or thirty miles a day without spending most of your day on your feet. So by the time I I get into camp after twelve hours of hiking, you know I can barely get uh, food warmed up before I crash, and so um, I don't spend much time, much conscious time in camp. And I'm really grateful for that uh, light pack for those 12 hours that I'm out there hiking. And so they're just very different kind of goals. And so the um, what you need to bring is quite quite different. And the other thing on these really long hikes, there are actually several different types uh, of challenges. You know, the challenges in the desert are very different from the the, the challenges in, in the high Sierra or the wind rivers. So um, being able to adapt to the different kinds of country is um, part of the skill set. So it sounds like it takes a lot more preparation, some careful planning, and definitely some specialized gear well, if you're going to be able to have a light enough pack to make those distances day after day after day after day. Yeah, and still be safe. I mean, you know, anybody can go into the woods with a cleaner's bag, but, you know, once you've um, shivered through a night or two, um, you you begin to um, reevaluate the wisdom of not taking something. To me, I, I, I enjoy the tension between um, having gear that's really functional so I can be comfortable and is durable enough to go thousands of miles and yet doesn't weigh very much. And um, so that's that's what, to me, is interesting. And every hiker out here 
uh, tackles those things in a different, you know, has their own take on what's worth carrying and what's not. Well, I know that when you hike this many miles or bike this many miles, you spend this much time out in the wilderness that things don't always go right. And I'm sure that you two have some neat stories for us about when things didn't go right and what you needed to do to manage the situation. So what do you have for us? Well, I'd like to read just a very short section from my book about something. Uh, Porter and I got pretty used to crossing uh, rivers by whatever means possible. With In the high Sierra in particular, there was so much snow melt that we had to cross sometimes 20 creeks a day. And uh, I learned to cross by balancing on a log or a boulder hopping or uh, fording. But we got to a creek that where n- none of those options were available. So uh, it was pretty deep, and Porter always went first to test the current. And he had encouraged me to take off my pack, but I was afraid of losing it if I fell. And sure enough, he was on the. Uh, he made it to the other side. And I'd like to read a little bit about my near drowning. Oh my, yeah, read. Finally, I stepped in and lurched drunkenly, even with my trekking poles. Facing upstream for balance, I slowly sidestepped across, but my foot got caught between two rocks and the uneven bottom, and the rapids knocked me down. First, there was white, the cold foam of swirling bubbles. I sputtered and gurgled, fought hard to get up, but I couldn't. I thrashed harder, and the water gave way beneath. My legs flailed above me. I sank, but heavy. I landed softly on the bottom, half reclining on my pack. I watched my sun hat rise above me to the surface. It was bright up there, but deep down here, everything was blue. I was drowning in blueness. I bounced in the upwelling, downwelling. I slipped into a blue shift of time running backwards. I saw my mother leaning into a troubled smile. But someone was parting the air. He was a shadow, head to water, leaning from the sky. I looked up through webwork underwater, saw the fine lace of trees, sunlight lattice through their branches. The world was hobbed by sunlight. Porter plunged in and dragged me out, body, pack, and all. I sliced to the air with my icy bones. We collapsed on the rocks. Water poured from us in rivulets. A waterfall of snow melt myself. My teeth chattered like clacking pebbles. I sat there, reeling with stillness. Inside, I felt like the river, a wider, deeper version of myself. My skin tingled from the bracing cold. My eyes opened at the brightness of everything around me. Nature, much more powerful than I, let me live. Wow. Yeah. That gives me chills, Gil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it gives me chills to think of it, too. Porter saved my life then, and we had a lot of close calls. You know, I have to I have to wonder how that experience would change one's perspective for the rest of your life. It, it certainly does. Both the experience of stillness and the change from... Uh, there's a there's a shift in your perspective from the the background to the self 
vis a vis nature, you realize that nature really is much more powerful and that that we are small beings who are part of the flow of nature. Mm. You yeah. never the same after that happens. I mean it's it's a scary but beautiful story. <laughs> um what advice would you have for our listeners when it comes to river crossings and this sort of thing? I mean no one wants to go through that and what had you been, what if you had been alone? Oh yeah, I, I don't know, Porter, you, you could probably speak better to um uh, the best ways to do river crossings. Well, like with all sports, if you start off with something that's not too hard and take uh people who know more than you do with you, um, you're much more likely to uh, have a good time and come back in one piece. But at some point, if you're going to bite off, you know, a big trail, you're going to come up against uh, basically all you can handle. Do the best you can, and sometimes you just turn around and say, uh, I can't, this, this is more than I can do, and I need to turn around and go back. Knowing when to say when is a big part of completing something safely. Yeah, well said. Uh, be safe to enjoy it another day. Yeah. Yeah. We recently aired a show uh, by Brett Davis with Outdoor Pursuits, and he described a really neat device. It's a pack raft, and these are light enough that you can carry them. They're a little bit heavy for you know an ultralight packer like yourself, but they're light enough that you can carry them to a river and then stow all of your gear inside of the raft and actually raft the river I wonder if some device like that might be handy when the when the water is really high. There are lots of times when I've been um, uh, wondering about the sending Gale to helicopter school or, um, <laughs> you know, a hot air balloon. You know, I can think of a lot of things that, are, that would help. But, you know, practically speaking, you got to either, you know, get across it or uh, find a way around it or... Um, decide to declare the expedition a success and turn around and go back. Yeah, or maybe spend the night and see if it's a little bit lower in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's that's an amazing story, Gail, that you told us there. I'm glad you're with us to tell the story. Oh, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a funny story for us? Yeah, you know, um, at the other end of the spectrum, there, there is a lot of humor in the book, I have to say. If, if it's okay, I'd like to read a little bit from um, our way of coping with our anxiety about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail beforehand. This is pretty close to the beginning of the book. And this is from I Promise Not to Suffer. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I Promise Not to Suffer, A Fool for Love Hikes the Pacific Crest Trail. And by the way, the, um, the, the reason the subtitle is A Fool for Love Hikes the Pacific Crest Trail is because essentially I did this out of love for Porter. And there were so many benefits for me personally once I got out there. But initially, I just went because I decided I would rather be out there with Porter rather than worrying about him from home. But here's uh, when, when we did finally decide that we would hike the Pacific Crest Trail. Here's that uh, section. Porter and I coped with our anxiety about the trip in different ways. We moved to a rented loft in Houston's downtown warehouse district, where he set up a kind of base camp. We put our bed in the loft living room so he could use the bedroom as a staging area for our six-month trek. He lined one wall with wire cubicles to sort the different types of jackets, shirts, pants, hats, gloves, socks, boots, and camping gear for the wildly varying weather of the Pacific Crest Trail, from hot desert to wind and rain, not to mention snow. 
He set up the sewing machine he'd inherited from his aunt Noreen and got busy making us some ultralight tarp and backpacks. He was the disciple of the ultralight gear king, Ray Jardine. Meanwhile, I set about hosting dinner parties for friends we wouldn't see for six months or ever again if we died. I loved throwing dinner parties, complete with themed menus and party favors. No one could believe we were really going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. You won't make her carry a pack on her little bird-like shoulders, my friend Madeline shrieked at Porter at one of our dinners. I'm five feet seven inches and 125 pounds with barely 16% body fat. She has the perfect hiker's body from the waist down, Porter said. I listened as they argued the merits of my long legs and birthing hips. Birthing hips? That's enough, <laughs> I said finally. I'm too old to have a baby out there. Porter got out the pack he was making for me, light enough for me to carry with wide, well-padded straps for my bony shoulders and collarbones. Store-bought pack straps chafed and gave me blisters. But there was another problem, pack-wise. For a small-boned woman, I had big breasts. Where do my boobs go, I asked when I tried it on. Straps placed wide apart slid off my shoulders. Narrowly placed, they crushed my breasts. A lift and separate cross my heart version made Porter study the problem for more minutes than was called for. <laughs> Doesn't anyone make a pack in a 32D, I demanded. <laughs> Eventually, he came up with a padded band to connect the side straps across my upper chest, parallel to the strap across my hips. My breast was framed for a hiker's museum, but hey, it worked. Our friends worried about snakes, mountain lions, and bears. I've watched a bear open a can of tuna with one swipe and suck out the contents in a lip-smacking second, one said. And if a mountain lion comes after you, you're toast. These were fears I couldn't relate to, unimaginable threats on an unimaginable trail. What I was really afraid of were my own unpredictable feelings. Would I cry and bail? What do you really want, I asked myself, to snuggle the porter in the wilderness or fret alone at home in our cozy bed? One of the best parts of our marriage was waking up in the middle of the night and seeing for sure that the other was still on the planet. Not to mention our love life. Although Porter began to stay up all night sewing our outdoor gear. You sew gear as a sublimation for sex, I told him. Sex, he said, is a sublimation for people who can't sew their own equipment. <laughs> so that gives, you, that gives you an idea right there of how we were coming from different places before we started the PCD. You know, I, I read that portion of your book and I, I just found it so neat you know, you would not probably say that you were dragged to the PCT kicking and screaming, but rather that there is more of an internal battle going on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I never really thought of myself as an outdoor person, outdoorsy person. In fact, the first line of my book is, I never much cared for nature or rather thought it okay as long as it stayed outside. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. 
Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. Underwater Fantasies is your full-service scuba, snorkel, and travel center. We are a PADI five-star facility with an on-site indoor heated pool. We teach scuba classes several times a month from beginner to professional level certifications. Once you're certified, join us on one of our group trips or let us help you plan your own tropical getaway. Call us at 303-988-6725 or find us online at www.uwfantasies.com. That's U-W-P-H-A-N-T-A-S-E-A-S.com. You know, I know that you've learned a lot more about nature since then. I've always felt that nature is our home and that being inside, we're kind of removed from home. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the direct opposite. But I'll bet you can relate to what I'm saying after hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. Absolutely. It's, It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? It really is. It really changes your perspective on every level. Well, hey, what kind of projects do you have in the works right now? Are there more books coming up? Well, one reason that um, I'm not hiking in the Continental Divide Trail with Porter is that I'm coming off of a a two-year book tour. It was a pretty long and intense book tour because the book, as you mentioned, won the National Outdoor Book Award and the Colorado Book Award and uh, several others. So it's, it's really had quite a life, and I have done presentations all over the country and uh, so I'm, I, I'm ready to just kind of um, chill and have a, a quieter time of it while Porter is hiking the CDT, which is actually beyond my skill level. So instead of hiking it, uh, and, and I'm, I'm not really working on a book now, what I'm doing is uh, blogging about our Continental Divide Trail adventure with a few pictures and short text about what was happening out here with us. And while Porter is hiking the trail, I had imagined that I would be kind of on a solitary meditation retreat. While he's out there, I would be in a hotel chilling and meditating and uh, doing my yoga practice. But as it turns out, being a trail angel is very, very demanding in terms of logistics. So I have decided to make that my meditation practice and, and it's been very beneficial because I'm realizing it's all meditation. The the long hours of driving I do to find Porter on a remote road where he might have to crawl out under barbed wire fence and I'm driving up and down the road hoping that he emerges at some point. So I'm doing hours of driving, a lot of changing of hotel reservations, depending on whether he's ahead or behind schedule. Up to now, he's been pretty much ahead of schedule. He's hiking faster than he had anticipated. So, so the blog has been my main thing, and I feel very drawn to silence and stillness rather than working on um, another book at this point. But who knows? You never know if I'll, I might might write more about this experience. Well, your blog is at gillstory.com forward slash blog, and story is spelled with an E, S-T-O-R-E-Y. 
And right. while you were telling us about it, Gail, I was just looking through the blog real fast and seeing all the fun pictures of you two doing the various feats that are required for this sort of an adventure. And yeah. uh, I think it's very cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I love working in images. And I discovered that when I did the uh, book trailer for my book, which is on the homepage of my website. So that it's it's an unusual book trailer in that it shows kind of the uh, the outrageous side of me as as well as uh, high points of our hike up the Pacific Crest Trail with pictures from the Pacific Crest Trail. So I discovered I love working in video and in photography as well. So, Porter, I want to know a little bit about how this started. There's something at the beginning of Gail's book about a butterfly route. Will you tell us what that is? Yeah. um, You know, when I was under a lot of stress at work, it just came to me one day that wouldn't it be great to bicycle from Houston to the beginning of the Appalachian Trail and uh, hike the Appalachian Trail and bicycle home and then bicycle to the beginning of the Pacific Crest Trail and hike the trail and bike it home. And I visualized that on a map as the shape of a butterfly. And uh, that sort of dream really kept me sane and employed for dozens of years. And by gradually acquiring the skills and making the gear, and I was able to get ready. And we've been getting ready for this trip for years. And it's been a marvelous uh, hobby and vision and goal to tackle some uh, long trails and rides, and I feel really grateful to have had these experiences. That's pretty neat. I like the the butterfly route that you chose. I find a lot of people that do these things find some unique way to approach these goals so they can say, this is something that I did first, right? Right. It becomes a motivator for all of life when you have something like that, and you say, you know what, I just, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. So how do you think that your experiences through hiking and biking and, and writing about it, how do these sorts of adventures benefit society? How do they benefit the, the big picture for all of us? Well, we certainly do all we can to help other hikers, but I gained enough um, perspective and equanimity to be able to practice medicine in a very challenging area for a long time. And certainly, um, our relationship has been enriched, and we take that enrichment to all the places we visit. So, you know, you never really know how the things you do or say are going to affect other people, but uh, we're better people for having uh, done this, and certainly our marriage is richer. And I really see that, too. As I move from town to town, small towns, I have been so struck by the goodness of people and to see people living in, you know, in their, in these small towns, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, poverty, but such big heartedness and generosity. And I feel I'm in a position to be kind and generous too. I think when you have the opportunity to live really close to the natural world, it opens you up in extraordinary ways that make you a more compassionate person and more more generous and um, more loving in the, in the deepest sense of the word. Wow. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. Well, Gil, I know that 
you have the book that we've been discussing, but you had some other books as well. Maybe you could close out the program by telling us about some of your other writings and how people can find your books to enjoy more from Gail and Porter's story. Yes, my books are available through through many bookstores. Uh, I'm especially a big fan of the independent bookstores, and uh, Amazon.com has all three of my books. The first book, The Lord's Motel, is a novel. It's my first novel, and it's about a woman in love with the wrong man and all the trouble she gets into with him. The, the first line of The Lord's Motel is, is it better to have fun with a kinky man or to be gloomy with a good one? It, so, <laughs> so I spend the whole book answering that question. And then the second book, uh, God's Country Club, is something of a sequel, although you can read the two books independently. And it's that the same main character, Colleen Sweeney, who's a librarian who um, directs a library project called Service to the Unserved. And in the second book, she falls in love with the right man. And both of these are, are very funny. I just I just can't seem to keep myself from poking fun at very serious issues. <laughs> so um, in the second book, she's in love with the right guy, but it shows how she's really dragging all her old issues along with her. And that that so happens in actual life that it takes us a long time to work through those all those issues that show up in relationship. And one of my long-time preoccupations that comes through in all books is the tension between the sexual and the spiritual, the depth of our existence, and also sexual conflict especially is one of, one of my, one of the things I've been most interested in working through in my own life and in in the books. It was really fun for me to finally be able to write this memoir, I Promise Not to Suffer a Fool for Love, High Slip, a Super Press Trail, and not worry about making things up because it turns out in, in actual life there are it's just fascinating in and of itself. So it was really a whole new way to to address those issues and um, kind of a logical extension of my first two novels. So the, the first two novels are still out there and doing well, and it's nice to have I Promise Not to Suffer out there uh, as the third book. Very cool. So it sounds like some really deep subjects that are being addressed with a lot of humor and finesse. Exactly, yeah. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed visiting with Gail and with you, Porter, today on this podcast. It's just been a lot of fun, and I know that our listeners would say the same if they could speak right now. Like Gail said, you can find her books on Amazon and in independent bookstores around the U.S. Her website is gailstory.com with an E, and I wish you both the best as you continue your adventure on the Continental Divide Trail. Thanks, Kurt. We really enjoyed talking with you. It's a real pleasure. Thanks. Oh, you bet. And to our guests, until the next show, get out there and have some fun. Hey, will you help us get the word out about the podcast? All you have to do is tell your friends to go to the Adventure Sports Podcast and give us a listen. Also, go to iTunes, rate us there, subscribe, and review. Thank you very much, and thank you today for listening to the show.